All right. Good morning, Cross Point. My name is Tim Brown, and I am honored and super blessed to serve as the youth pastor here. Um, so this Sunday, Pastor Josh is out. He's out for the month of July, taking some much-deserved time away from the church. And in fact, he called me last night to talk to me, give me a little pep talk before today, and he wanted me to pass along hello to you guys, and he is praying for you. Um, so with Josh not being here, you guys are honored and blessed to hear me preach my first sermon ever. <laughs> so thank you. Um, I, some days I can barely make it through the announcements, so just maybe send up a prayer or two as we're working through this thing. <laughs> um, but no, really, I am really excited to be here and sharing, that I get to share some stories with you guys of how God's been at work in the youth group this past spring. And also a story that he's put on my heart to share with you guys that happened to me a couple years ago. So, speaking of the youth, I am super, super, super pumped because today is Youth Sunday and we get to talk about the youth they are taking over. When you came inside, you probably saw them. They were passing out bulletins. They were ushering. They were singing and did a really awesome job singing. They're going to be downstairs passing out donuts and coffee. And later on in the talk today, I'm going to talk a little more about the donut ministry and uh, some things that we've been doing. Um, oh, speaking of the kids singing, did you guys like that last song, Greater? Uh, it's a new one that we did, and Stephanie singing right up front. Every Thursday, when we take the kids home in the church van, Moby, got to call him Moby. When we take the kids home in Moby, she always requests that we play that song. So on Youth Sunday, I was like, Stephanie, guess what? Guess what song you get to sing? So <laughs> she was really excited. Um, all right, before we get started, I want to pray for the talk today and just pray that God would, God would be glorified. So, God, thank you. Thank you for this day. And I thank you for every person sitting in this room right now. And God, no matter what they brought in with them today, stresses, worries, fears, anxieties, God, I pray that you would meet them right where they're at. God, I pray that you would open their hearts to hear your word. And God, as I'm talking today, get me out of the way. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak right through me, and that the Holy Spirit would minister to every person in this room today. God, I pray that you get the glory, get the glory for the story that I'm going to share, and I pray that you get the glory for everything that's been happening in the youth group. So we lift all this up to the mighty, all-powerful, mountain-moving name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So for those of you who don't know, um, I work part-time here at the church, and I also work part-time at Unity Point Health Methodist in downtown Peoria, as a registered nurse there. And so last fall, I was actually working full-time at the hospital, and God opened up a door for me to come on staff here at Crosspoint and work part-time here and part-time at the hospital, which was super cool and like a dream of mine. And while in nursing school, um, in school we go through different rotations called clinicals, where they give you a taste of like, mental health for a semester, and then you go to cardiac for a semester, and then you go to community health, OBPEDS, that kind of thing. And there's a story that I want to share with you guys today from one of my clinical experiences, and it's a day that I'll never forget as a nursing student. And for this particular clinical experience, I had the opportunity to go to a place called the Pregnancy Resource Center, and this one was located in Bloomington. I don't know if anybody did the walk, this church-sponsored... Um, an event called The Walk not that long ago, led by Jan Whitehall. And that was affiliated with the Pregnancy Resource Center. So I had the chance to go there that day and just observe the nurses who were working that day. 
And so when I went in that morning, I learned that we had one client scheduled for that day. And her appointment was for 10.30. And she made her appointment online. And when she made her appointment online, she clicked that she wanted to talk about options, meaning she wanted to talk about either aborting, adopting, or parenting a child. And so the awesome thing about the Resource Center is they give free counseling to young women and families who are in need of help like this, and they're a faith-based group. So before we got started that day, this was the coolest thing. This has never happened to me at another clinical site. I got to pray with the nurse who was working and the other nurse, and the three of us prayed for this young girl who was coming in. So her appointment was for 10.30 that morning, and when we got there, we learned a little more about her. We learned that she was 19 years old, and not only that, she was nine weeks pregnant. In addition to that, um, so this was Wednesday when I was at the PRC. Monday of that same week, she had scheduled a pill-induced abortion, but canceled it because she was scared of the side effects that the pill would have on her body. So Wednesday, she was talking with us, and she wanted to talk about options. And then Friday of that very same week, she had a vacuum-assisted abortion scheduled. So we were right in the middle, and I knew this young girl was looking for answers. So during the appointment, I was able to watch the nurse who was working that day, Margie, really minister to this girl. And we learned that her parents were 100% for her having the baby. However, her boyfriend was 100% against her having the baby, to the point that he threatened to either kill himself or hurt himself if she went through with it. And so the conversations that we were having were really serious and really important. And so I watched Margie as she walked through the different options of aborting, adopting, or parenting, and the consequences of those and what those might look like. And I was amazed at how Margie was able to handle the different like, emotional aspects of this situation and to tell this young girl that she was not responsible and she, her and her baby were independent of the actions of her boyfriend. It was incredible. But when, when this girl made her appointment online, she also marked that she was a Christian. And as we got to talking with her that day, we learned that uh, she said she'd kind of fallen away from, from going to church. And so as Margie kept talking with her, she asked if she could share the the gospel with this young girl, and she said yes. And so Margie opened up to Romans 6.23, and she read this. She said, For the wages of sin is death, but the the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I'm going to pause that story there for a moment. So the roadmap for kind of my talk today is I'm going to kind of walk us through this story and some gospel truths that God showed me as I was there that day, and some things that, some things that happened. And then after the story, I'm going to talk a little more about the youth group and some things that have been happening, and then finish up with another story. So again, pausing at Romans 6.23, where Margie just shared the gospel with this young girl. In Romans 3.23, Paul says this. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul wasn't like, he wasn't like, well... You're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're halfway a sinner, you're kind of a sinner. No, Paul was like, all of us are sinners. Myself, every person in this room, all of us are sinners. Um, and when we were born, we were born into this sin condition, this sin nature that just separates us from God, where we choose God over all other, or we choose the things of this world over all other things but God. And so 
I got to thinking, how would I like, define the word sin? Like, what does that even mean? And I came across a definition by John Piper. He's an awesome dude. And he said this. He said, sinning is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all other things. And there's an illustration I was, I was reminded of that Pastor Josh has shared sometimes on Sundays. And this illustration really stuck with me. He said this. You remember growing up and there was like those little squares where you would take the triangle and you put it in the triangle thing. And you take the circle and you put it in the circle thing. The square and the square thing. And so he went on to say that all of our hearts have a God shape in our hearts. But the thing is, is that we did try to fit a thousand different other things but God in our hearts. And it leaves us feeling not satisfied. It leaves us continuing to look for other shapes that might fit in there. And you see, this isn't like a new problem that only us, that only we are dealing with. The people of the Bible, thousands of years ago, were dealing with this exact thing. And in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2, verses 13, Jeremiah said this about that problem. He said, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What was Jeremiah talking about here? So when I first read this, I was thinking to myself, what in the world is a cistern? Like, I, I had no clue what, what it was. <laughs> like, I pictured a vase with, like, some designs on it that was cracked. <laughs> and that's exactly not what um, a cistern is. I've got a picture of one. I'm going to talk about that momentarily. So back in the day, the Palestine people of the Bible had three sources, like, three main sources of the Bible. The first was, like, fresh water coming from a stream. It was really clear, sparkling. It was nice. I would probably drink it, maybe. And then the second was, like, well water that they would pull up out of a well. And the third was this cistern water, which was basically runoff water, which is already in itself really gross because back then a lot of them either walked around in sandals or barefoot and there was sand everywhere and there was donkeys and horses walking through and there was droppings everywhere and you can only imagine what was draining into this cistern. So the cistern was basically a collection point where all of the runoff water would go and sit. And like mosquitoes would come and they would lay eggs and it was really gross and you really don't want to drink that water. What Jeremiah is saying here, he's not, they weren't just drinking from cistern water, they were drinking from broken cistern water, which means they were left with that like green, slimy, sludgy stuff at the bottom that's like on the top of a pond. And he's like, they're choosing this over the fountain of living water. And what is this fountain of living water? What, what was he talking about? So today, we're going to be in John chapter 4, and we get to hear Jesus tell us about the fountain of living water. So if you've got your Bibles with you today, open it up to John chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 7. Start in verse 7. If you're using the Bibles under the seats, I believe it's on page 1,131. I didn't have that memorized. I looked it up beforehand. <laughs> uh, but 1,131. So we're going to start in verse 7, and we're going to go through verses 14. 1,131. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Never mind. You're going to have to find it without me. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor. Maybe they'll help. Um, but if you can't find it, no worries, because I'm going to read it to you. So, starting in verse 7. 
Let's hear Jesus tell us about this fountain of living water. What was Jeremiah talking about here? So in verse 7, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So let me give you a little background on kind of what's going on here and the context of this situation. So basically, Jesus is chilling out at this well, and it's about 12 o'clock noontime. And so this woman comes from Samaria, or a Samaritan woman comes, and when she gets to the well first, it's just crazy to her for the fact that Jesus was talking to her because Jesus was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. And Samaritans were considered to be like in this continual state of uncleanliness. So for Jesus even to say anything to her was like, wow. Um, Not only that, we know that she may have been an outcast or looked down upon by her society or the people that she was with because she came to the well by herself. Typically, this is something like socially that You would get together, get a group of people, you'd go to the well early in the morning, get some water, and then you'd go back. But she was there by herself, and she didn't come in the morning with everybody else. She came at noon, like at the hottest time of the day. Um, And in in addition to that, she, um, she had five husbands, and she was in an open relationship with the sixth. So she was kind of lost, and there was a lot going on here. But you see... Lost my water. You see, I think this is awesome because she was looking for God in a thousand different directions. And we can see that just after the five guys, now she's in the sixth. And I think the awesome thing in this story is that Jesus met this woman exactly where she was at. When she was feeling lonely, when she was feeling ashamed, when she felt like an outcast, nobody else wanted to talk to her. Jesus was there talking with her. And guys, it's awesome because God values all of us, each of us, every person in this room to seek you out, even in our state of like bankrupt lives, even being jacked up, as Pastor Josh might say. And the Samaritan woman, she learned what it to be learned what it meant to be cared for when nobody else saw value in her, when nobody else saw worth in her, and Jesus saw that in her. And not only did Jesus meet this woman at the well, he was waiting for the girl at the Pregnancy Resource Center that morning. So I want to take us back to that story. As I said that particular week when this girl came in, she had the pill-induced abortion scheduled Monday, cancel it because she was scared of what the pill might do to her. Wednesday she was talking to us, and again Friday she had that vacuum-assisted abortion scheduled. And when I left 
the resource center that day, I had to leave somewhat early. Right before I left, this girl was leaving to go get an ultrasound. And so at nine weeks old, the baby, from what I've read, is about the size of a grape, like an inch long. And so as I left that day, I knew this girl was looking for answers, and I knew she was lost. I knew maybe she had been trying to fit shapes other than God into that God space in her heart, and I prayed with every fiber of my soul that she might find Jesus through this experience and that she might choose to either adopt or parent her child. But I didn't pray that she would just know like, the, oh, the fluffy Jesus loves me, but that she would really know and understand the sacrifice that Jesus made for her. You see, in Mark chapter 10, verses 45 Mark says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, sometimes we call Jesus our King and our Lord, but he didn't live the life of a king that we might expect, the king living in the palace. You know, the triumphal entry when Jesus came into Jerusalem, like the week of Easter, he didn't come in riding on that sweet white stallion that we might think he's riding on, like George Washington might come riding in on. No, he came in on a donkey as a servant wearing servant clothes. Jesus was a servant and he came to serve us. He left the right hand of God up in heaven where life was perfect and he came down and he lived with us and he lived a sinless life and he felt and he went through the things that we go through, the fears, the anxieties, the depression, the things that we feel. Jesus felt that. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus cried too, just like us. And I think that is so cool that we have a God who can relate to us. And you guys see, that is what I prayed the girl at the PRC Pregnancy Resource Center would understand. And to kind of illustrate this point that I'm saying, there's an illustration that I want to share with you guys that came across from Young Life. Um, And it goes like this. One afternoon, a bus driver was taking 40 children home. And as as the bus made its way down the steep grade, uh, to the left was a steep, like a steep cliff. The bus driver couldn't turn to the left. And to the right, there was a steep cliff that went way over. And as the bus driver is driving down this steep cliff, the brakes in the bus, they overheated and they failed. And as the bus hurtled down the hill, the driver recalled that there was a narrow gate at the bottom that led into a field. So he thought to himself, I can drive this bus through that gate and it will eventually stop somewhere in the field safely. Now he hoped that no cars or other obstacles would get in his way like before he got to the gate. But as the bus reached the bottom of the hill, the driver saw the gate approaching fast. But to his horror, he noticed that there was a small child sitting on that gate. It was too late to change plans now because if the driver tried to avoid the gate, 40 children would die, and he cried out in anguish as that bus slammed into the gate. Now, the innocent child that died instantly through the collision put the bus and all of its passengers, the 40 children, were saved. Now, emergency vehicles were the first to arrive on the scene and followed shortly by relieved parents and grandparents that their children had lived. And many of them wanted to show appreciation and gratitude for the bus driver uh, who had kept the bus under control long enough to save their children. But the driver was nowhere to be found, and they asked a police officer, where, where is he at? And the police officer was like, they've taken him to the hospital because he's suffering from severe shock. And they're like, well, well that's, that's understandable. He just went through a lot. And they replied, no. You don't understand, said the officer. You see, that little boy on the fence was his son. 
In The Reason for God, a book written by Timothy Keller, he said, that, he said, the cross is not simply a lovely example of sacrificial love. He said, throwing your life away needlessly is not admirable, it is wrong. Jesus' death was only a good example if it was more than an example, and it was. If it was something absolutely necessary to rescue us, and it was. Why did Jesus have to die in order to forgive us? There was a debt to be paid, and God himself paid it. There was a penalty to be borne, and God himself bore it. See, the debt to be paid was our sin, and the penalty to be borne was death, and Jesus paid the ultimate price. Just like Margie shared in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He gives us this living hope that we can hold on to. And I prayed that this young girl would find that living hope, would find that free gift and understand the sacrifice that Jesus made for her. So Thursday, back to my story, Thursday went by and I continued praying, praying, praying for this girl. And Friday came. And at this time, this was the fall of 2014, I was working here, not as the youth pastor, but I was working here next door in the office as the secretary. I like to call myself the executive associate, but basically the secretary. (laughs) (laughs) And so every Friday, I would get to fold bulletins. And I was honored to fold bulletins with a lady named Joyce Spangler. I don't know if you guys know her, but she had passed away earlier this year. So on Friday, I'm folding bulletins with Joyce, and I get an email from my professor. And I want to share that email with you right now. She, and this is from Margie at the, the Pregnancy Resource Center, she said this. She said, We had quite a day on Wednesday when Tim was here, and I wanted to pass something along to him. He can tell you the whole story. But I wanted to let him know that the young lady whom he met and observed her session did cancel her abortion appointment for tomorrow. She already had it scheduled when she came in Wednesday, and she left still uncertain as what she would do. I was able to talk to her yesterday, and she said that after talking with us and getting her ultrasound, she had decided to parent her child. And she was like, the ultrasound was crazy. She wasn't even nine weeks, yet that precious baby literally danced for her mother. I have not seen that before in all the ultrasounds I have done. God at work, for sure. Isn't that awesome? It's like, I could not even put into words what I was feeling that day. Just, I felt like I had witnessed a real-life miracle. You know, sometimes people say, oh, God doesn't perform miracles anymore. I got to see one and live through one, and I was really pumped to share that with you guys today. But I want to talk a little more about the implications of this girl's decision, because remember, her boyfriend was the one who was 100% against her having the child. He was 100% against that, to the point where he threatened to either kill himself or hurt himself. Not only that, this girl had already completed one year of college, and think about what the world might tell her. Well, you still have three more years of college left to get. You have to get your degree. Then you should probably start a career and get yourself established and maybe buy a house and get a car and maybe get your life together, get things straightened out. You don't have time for a child right now. And we, I feel like you know, sometimes we live in the world of iPhones, iMacs, selfies, and me's where we focus on ourselves and sometimes forget about others around us. And not only that, she would have been raising the child as a single mother who are sometimes looked down upon in society, and it would have been really difficult for her. But despite all these things, despite what her boyfriend was telling her, despite what the world would tell her, she made the decision to sacrifice that part of her life for her future child. 
She sacrificed what could have been her future for the life of that nine-week-old baby. And friends, this is exactly what Jesus did for you when he sacrificed himself on the cross in our place. Jesus redeems all of us, and it's a free gift offered to every person in this room. Ephesians 5.2 says this, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love as Christ loved us. When I think about God's love, my mind is blown. Um, there's a quote kind of by Rich Mullins. He talks a little about this. He said, God's love is constant, and it's not dependent upon what we do or what we don't do. Like, this is crazy. Like, God knew us in our deepest, darkest moment, our deepest, deepest darkest secret. He knew us in that moment, and he still chose to love us and die for us, and he continually seeks us out every day. And so what's our response to that? What's our response to being redeemed by God? And here in Ephesians it says, walk in love. Now I get the honor to share with you guys how the youth group has been walking in that love this past spring. Um, get some water here real quick. So youth group officially kicked off the point Youth group kicked off in January of this year. Now, when we started things, I always joke with myself and I say, we had more youth leaders than we did kids coming back in January, which is a good problem to have. <laughs> and about mid-March, a couple guys and I, we started this group called Dudes and Donuts. It was great. We would meet on Wednesday mornings and have a small Bible study. But I've always had a heart for outreach, and God really put East Peoria High School on my heart. And so I've been thinking or I was thinking through ways that we could reach out to them. And last fall, I went down to St. Louis, and I visited my best friend. His name's Tyler, and he's a part of a group called Young Life. And the day I was there, they went out with their Young Life group early in the morning to their local high school, and they passed out like donuts and bakery treats to the high school. I was like, this is awesome. I want to do this. <laughs> so as we come back, the youth group's going. We're meeting on Wednesday mornings. I was talking to our guys, and I was like, guys, we, we should do this. So I pitched that idea to them. It's like, maybe we can go pass out donuts to school. So that same day, they went to talk to the superintendent, Dr. Chuck Nagel. And he said to them, he said, as long as you have an adult involved, have him email me and just kind of tell me what's going on, and we'll go from there. So they told me that. I was like, great. I'll email him. So I drafted like this three-paragraph, super descriptive email, like, you know, we're going to do this. This is what time we're going to get there. This is where the donuts are coming from, da 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 like just everything, where we're going to be at, all of that. And if this has not got it work, I don't know what is. He responded with two sentences, like just two sentences. He's like, I love the idea. You have my blessings. That was it. Like, that was it. <laughs> and he tagged the, the deans on that email, and he tagged the security officer on the email. So it's like, as far as I knew, we had free reign. <laughs> so um, I was pumped. I was like, okay, we're going to get this rocking and rolling. So if you were a part of the donut ministry, I want you to come up on stage right now. Great, 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 great. So... This is Sarah. Hi. <laughs> this is Robert, who just got baptized not all that long ago. This is Caleb. This is Chase. And that's youth leader Brandon Palmer, who did the announcements today. Did a really good job on the announcements today. <laughs> and so 
Let me give you a little background on what went or like what goes into making the donut ministry happen on a Wednesday morning. So, oh sweet, got a picture up. <laughs> so here's what happens. Doug, Doug is not here. Doug is Autumn's brother who was singing up front today. And Doug Kaufman, he plays a really strong role in this group because Doug would come here. So we do the donut ministry on Wednesdays. Doug would come to the church on Tuesday nights. He would pre-program all of the coffee pots. He would put the filters in. He would put the coffee grounds in. He would put the water in. And he would program the coffee pots to kick off things at 7 o'clock that next morning. Go home. And then after that, Wednesday morning... Doug wakes up, and he comes to the church. He pours all the coffee into the crafts, gets everything ready, gets our table ready, does all that so we're ready to rock and roll, and we can load things up into Moby and go. Moby is just a part, just as much of a part of this ministry as anything else. So <laughs> thank you for the church fan. <laughs> and then Caleb, this guy right here, he would go out and pick up Sarah and Chase in the morning, and he would drive to Carl's Bakery and buy six dozen donuts, and he would meet us at the high school by 8 o'clock. When we got there, we would set up our table, and Chase, the master chef, would cut all of the donuts in half. (laughs) So we had 156 donuts to serve that morning and a ton of cups of coffee. And guys, I have to add in that Wednesday is their day that they get to sleep in, and school doesn't start till 9 o'clock, so they're waking up like extra early and doing a thousand things Wednesday morning before school even starts, which is really, really cool. And you know, some people ask, like, are you advertising youth group? What, like, what are you doing? And, you know, sometimes I say, it's, we don't go, here's a donut, let me, let me tell you about Jesus. It's, here's a donut, have a good day. I remember one girl asked Chase in particular, she's like, why, why are you guys doing this? He's like, to make your day better. That's what we're doing, because there's a lot of kids who are coming in probably not getting breakfast Maybe not leaving a happy family. And we're hoping that we'll be the first people that they see coming in and they can get a donut. We also print out quotes, positive quotes, to encourage them throughout the day. So these guys are doing awesome. I wanted to spotlight and highlight them. So give them a spot. Uh, there's one other ministry that I want to share with you guys, too. Uh, oh, in the picture. That's, this is where we set up. Right outside the main entrance, they kind of call it by the band doors. We got our table there, passing out coffee. This is Chloe with our free coffee and donut sign, doing a great job holding it there. So, um, but there's another ministry real quick that I want to share with you guys, and that's called our Real Life Support Group. And so working up at the hospital, I work on the adolescent, the behavior health unit. So I, I often tell people I work with kids who struggle with like anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, bullying, anger, frustration, self-harm, those kind of things. And one night, this is towards the end of March, I was leaving work, and God sent me this vision. He's like, I want you to start a support group for kids who are struggling with these things. So I was like, okay, we're going to do it. (laughs) So that Tuesday, I sent out a message to our students, like, hey guys, if you're struggling with any of these things, Tuesday night, we're meeting here at the church from 6 to 7, and you should come. And God has blessed us in so many ways through this group. I could talk for the next hour on how he's been at work through the youth ministry and the support group here. And we tell the students, come as you are. Come as you are. Just like the woman at the well, Jesus meets you right where you're at. So that's 
when I'm trying to encourage the students, here's a safe place for you to come talk if you're struggling with these things. And I also tell them, and the same goes for you guys too, if you know of somebody or a student, junior high or high school, who is struggling with any of those things or wants to learn more about those things or wants to learn how they can talk to some of their friends about those things, because it's a big problem today, come to that group and we can help you out. And I also printed off a bunch of flyers for that. They're straight back. So if you want one, take it with you today. It's my gift to you. And you can pass that out as you go. Um, Oh, and before, one more thing. Our youth leaders, we have really awesome youth leaders. If you're a youth leader, could you stand up? I think they're right down here. They are awesome. Let's clap for them. They are so good. Every Thursday night, I know they say youth groups from 6.30 to 8.30. For them, it's not. (laughs) It starts before and it goes later. And every Thursday, they are there serving our kids, reaching out to our kids, praying for our kids. Guys, they are awesome. I am so blessed to have them a part of our team. And Miss Brenda, if you come and visit us one night, she makes the best popcorn in the whole wide world and the best brownies ever. You'll really want to try those because they're really good. So, okay, I'm going to wrap up with one more illustration and kind of close, close things out. There's a story um, from World War II that I want to share with you guys. And in this story, it's about these prisoners that are at a prison labor camp. And every day they would go out and all day, all they would do is dig. They had a shovel and they would go out and they would just dig. And they would dig all day, and they would come in at night, and they would turn in their shovels, go to sleep, wake up, get the shovel, and go back out. And this would go on day after day after day. And so one evening, these 20 prisoners come back after working really hard, and they get back, and the guard's there, and he's getting ready to do the count. And he counts all of the shovels. And he's like, there's a problem, because I've only counted 19, and there should be 20. And... The guard was demanding which one of you guys did not turn in your shovel, and nobody responded. And because the guard was so frustrated, he took out his gun and he said that he would shoot five men if the guilty prisoner did not step forward. And after a moment of tense silence, a 19-year-old soldier, his name was Ben, he stepped forward. And with his head bowed down, the guard grabbed him, he took him to the side, and he was shot. And he turned to the others and he warned them that they better be more careful than he was. And so when the guard left, the men came back together and they counted their shovels because they were like, all 20 of us were digging today. How could one be missing? And they learned that the guard had actually miscounted and the boy had given his life for his friends. And can you imagine the emotions that he must have filled those 19 soldiers that day? Because in five or 10 seconds of silence... That boy had weighed his whole future, his future wife, his future family, kids, going fishing with his dad, his career. He chose all of that so his friends might live. And in John fifteen thirteen, he says this, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And notice, guys, the cost of his love for both the soldier and the cost of love for Jesus was himself. It wasn't like money or time, or energy, or inconvenience, or even suffering. It was the full extent sacrifice of his life. And 
Again, I am just amazed at the love Jesus has for us. Like I said, that love is a constant love. There's nothing that can take that away. Jesus knew myself and every person in this room. He knows us at our deepest, darkest spot in light. And in spite of that, he still seeks you out and he's ready to meet you here today. Jesus gave himself for the woman at the well. He gave himself for that young girl at the Pregnancy Resource Center. Jesus gave himself for me, and he's given himself for you. He offers us more than that dirty cistern water, more than anything this world could ever offer us, because the world leaves us feeling thirsty. And Jesus offers us that living water. He offers this as a free gift, that eternal life. And of everything I've talked about today, if you leave with one thing, I pray that is knowing how much Jesus loves you and he's seeking you out right now and he wants to be in a relationship with you. And if you don't know what that means, if you've got questions about that, talk to me, talk to one of our youth leaders, talk to Marshall. Um, In your bulletin, I put like a little handout insert in there. You can email me if you've got questions. I want to help you take that next step. Just like Margie shared with the girl at the Pregnancy Resource Center, she said this, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That free gift is offered to everybody in this room today.